Word Radio On Demand, 96.1 FM and 900 AM WURD. Streaming live at wordradio.com. February is Black History Month, as well as Black Love Month, as well as Black Joy Month, as well as anything that we wanted to be as African-Americans, because we're powerful like that. But while we're celebrating Black History Month, we've got someone who is joining us who celebrates Black history all year round. His name is Ernest Krim. He is a writer, educator. He specializes in amplifying Black history, on social media because he's got over 200,000 followers on Instagram and over 380,000 followers on TikTok. He's also the author of two books, Black History Saved My Life and a new book, The ABCs of Affirming Black Children. Ernest Krem, welcome to Reality Check. How are you today? I'm doing great. How y'all doing today? Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on because, you know, you are on uh, big time on social media, on Instagram and TikTok. So we feel very lucky to have you here with us today because we know that time is money on those social media apps, <laughs> right? But yes, you, indeed. But we wanted to have you on because you celebrate Black history 365 days of the year. And I'm wondering, and this was the question that I posed to you, should we still have Black History Month, Ernest? Or can't we just have uh, the entire year to celebrate Black history? Yeah, I think I think the answer to both of those questions is actually yes. And let me tell you why. So when Carter G. Woodson created Black History Week, which eventually became Black History Month in the 60s and 70s, his intention was never for us to only celebrate it during that week. Mm. His intention was actually for us to, let's say, we, we come together. So imagine that you have a family reunion. You get together with your family, let's say, every June, every July. Um, you don't stop being family throughout the year. You might check on each other. You might be scattered across the country, maybe the world. You might send a birthday text. You might get up for birthdays or whatever, or, you know, just get together and have some fun. But that family reunion is where we all get together and then we all talk about the achievements, the successes, maybe even the failures. So Carter G. Woods' intention was never for us to only celebrate it during those 28 or 29 days. It was for us to come together and talk about all the great things we have been doing throughout the year as Black people so that we can maintain uh, unity and be on one accord. I think that is a great answer. However, Carter G started out with a week, then it went to a month. So why don't we just call the Black History 12 months celebration? And then we can have the good movies on every month. <laughs> then we can have the celebration of our history. I mean, of course, we're here on Black Radio, so we do do that 365 days of the year. But does it kind of make us, uh, does it kind of put us in that uh, other category by having to say we've got to have this one specific month for it? I think the issue would is in America, we have this propensity uh, through capitalism to to uh, associate things with just a particular day. Um, mm. we, we, we try to monetize off of everything. You know, like every holiday has a, you know, a three-day, like a, a weekend sale. Like Dr. Oh, yeah. King holiday, they got a mattress sale going on or a car sale up the street. You know, Juneteenth, they Walmart selling some ice cream that has, you know, our African or African-American flag colors or something like that. Right. I think that I think that's the problem we probably run into more than anything because what I notice as well is like, you know, 
most people will only talk about our issues or want you to have, you know, want you to speak at their school during that time. But what you do at what you do at your radio station, what the other black owned radio stations do, with what other what, what black owned uh independent stations do, we talk about this all year round. But of course it do, it does seem a little phony. You know, when we see like, okay, all of a sudden now you want to talk to Tanya. Right. You know, <laughs> now you want to have the black history facts. Right. I think that we have to be so grounded in who we are that we remind ourselves that Black History Month truly is is for the larger social structure, meaning the American society, the broader American mainstream society, because that's when they begin to acknowledge it more. But we acknowledge ourselves in March. I call March. That's Black Women's History Month. You know, right, right. <laughs> I, I mean, you know what I'm saying? January might as well be Dr. King's month. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I got to find something for April, but in May, I'm celebrating Malcolm X. You right. know, that's his birthday. <laughs> June, we got, that's the whole month. That's Juneteenth, right? You know what I'm saying? July, we could talk about the 4th of July and talk about what we weren't able to do during that time. But then we got August, which is Black August. So <laughs> I think that, we, <laughs> I think what we have to truly probably do is just sell this more to our community because what I would hate though is for that to become something that again becomes engulfed by this American society like they're attempting to do with Juneteenth, which I feel like should be a holiday for us that we get off work. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> oh no, because we we already had the debate. Me and Brother Shomari, who's another host on uh Word, we talked about whether or not black people should just take off for King Day. Like everybody black in America should just take yeah. off for King Day. And now they've turned that into a day of service. I'm like, don't we work enough? Can't we just take right. can we get exactly. one day off? Can black people right. get one day off? And then, you know, if we did take one day off, imagine what the rest of the uh the country would look like, because it wouldn't be nothing running if black people took a day off. So, uh, but now here's another question for you. Should we continue to call it black history? And I'm going to ask you this because my question is, isn't this American history at this point? And are we diminishing it all because we keep saying black history? So here's my perspective. Um, I think that we can label it black history if we begin to look at it from a governance perspective of saying that we're not just talking about our root here in 1619 or 1526. I think that black history is, is, is so expansive that it's not just American history. It, on the contrary, American history is actually included in black history. Mm, okay. And what I'm saying is, why I say that is we descend from the original people on this planet. Uh, we were here for hundreds and thousands of years before we migrated to colder climates and began to, you know, form European people from that. We talk about like it's been upwards of six thousand something years since we see widespread, uh, you know, uh, pale skin in, in Europe. So that means for hundreds and thousands of years, there were people who looked like us who were even there, right? right? So when we talk about the last 500 years, or maybe even just the, let's say the last 6,000 years, I, I was looking at a book that said we have been producing art in Africa for it since at least 150,000 BCE, mm. you know? So when I say Black history... I think oftentimes it can be misconstrued to say that I'm only talking about the last 500 years when, in fact, I'm talking about the whole diaspora, the entire, the, the whole entity. And I think maybe if we're more specific on that to say that, yeah, we've been here 
and we were enslaved and came here. And in fact, the American history that you speak of, which is this, you know, this grand experiment is actually included in our story as opposed to the other way around. Because again, we laid the foundation involuntarily um, and who knows what's going to happen in the future with America, but whatever happens, we'll still be here <laughs> and we'll still be creating. And we have certainly proven ourselves to be resilient. That is for sure. Ernest, let's talk a little bit about your personal story. How did you come to be such a proponent of Black history? And are you surprised at all about how it's taken off uh, on social media? Uh, to answer your second question, yes. Um, <laughs> to answer your first question, growing up on the south side of Chicago, I grew up in a red line community. Um, food desert, you know, not, I, I wouldn't say it was the, you know, the most violent neighborhood, but it was, there were still incidences of it. Um, more so structural violence. I always felt like something wasn't right. You know, we had a very supportive neighborhood. You know, I grew up during that, I probably the last generation where you knew your neighbors like that. Everybody was welcoming. You know, if you came home and you was like that, you could stay with your neighbors, see your mom got back and, you know, people looked out for each other. Um, but when I got bused to a white neighborhood for uh, eight years, that's when I, I really started to figure out something wasn't right, because I'm going to this school that's, you know, for all intents and purposes, it was segregated on the southwest side of Chicago. Like literally when you went past the train tracks, there was like this huge cemetery. And once you got past the cemetery, that's when you get to that neighborhood. It might as well have been a separate town. Mm. And the friends I had in that neighborhood as a child, of course, we were all cool. We're just kids. We don't understand what's going on. But going back and forth on that bus, I'm like, yo, why, why are all my black friends getting on this bus? And all my white friends are like walking home. That just don't, don't make sense. And then why does their neighborhood have all of these options? They got healthy options. They got the junk food. We just had the junk. Right. We didn't have a forest preserve. They played on the football team. We didn't have anywhere to go to even do that except put up a hoop in the alley, right? So I think that always stayed with me, and I always asked questions. By the time I got to college, I was always doing good with my grades, but I almost flunked out my first semester, and I decided to take a Black history course because I felt like there's no way I can fail a course on myself. <laughs> so I took that. <laughs> I mean, like, I got to put myself to the test, right? <laughs> right, that was good thinking. I'm a failed psychology, but not me. That's me. You know what I'm saying? Right. So take this course and I fell in love. This is uh, around this time. So this is like spring semester 2006. And I went to that class every day. First one there sat in the front. And long story short, I wanted to teach from that. I, I, I never stopped reading. I actually started to love reading from that. And I said, I got to give this information back to my community because it answered all the questions that I was wondering about. Um, and I just so happened to choose to post on social media for one, because I was fighting against a, a hate crime to get justice. When I started doing TikTok, it was to try to find a way to meet my students where they were. Mm. And I honestly had no idea what pick up like this. Wow. Well, it has picked up. What um, what kind of a response, like in your DMs and in your comments and all those kinds of things, what kind of a response do you get? And do you get more responses from black folks or from white ones? So when I, uh, so in 2016, I posted a video of a hate crime that happened to me and my wife. And that initially made me feel like I don't ever want to check comments on social media because people were yelling racial things in the comments at me. And I'm posting something that happened to me and my wife. We were the victims in the situation. So well, you gotta, I, I kind of. You, you got to tell us what happened since you've uh, oh. referenced it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so essentially me and my wife were at an event in Chicago of uh, July 30th, 2016. 
um, majority black event. It was an outside day party. And because we uh, grabbed the beanbag that we thought somebody else, uh, a white lady was done using, she began to scream at us because she wasn't using it. And she was with two black friends and a white friend. Um, she begins to then call us the N-word over it. So I, you know, I took the phone out and I'm, I'm telling her, okay, say what you got to say. Give me all your information too. I'm going to post this online, whatever. And this is she all over a beanbag? A beanbag. And while she has two black friends there. So um, she keeps yelling, keeps talking, and then she eventually spits on us. In the midst of that, she is calling cops over and she's trying to, at a majority black event, she still felt that whiteness, right? She, mm. she felt she could activate it. So I posted later because she got kicked out the event. But we didn't know her name. So I posted to get her information. I'm saying all this to say that I did get a lot of support in that situation, but I, there were some like really vile things. I had people mailing letters to our home. Mm. It was a really stressful period. So when I started posting content, like outside of that, of course, about black history, sure. I was surprised to see on the flip side, 99% of the comments I get are positive. And I, and I know we live in echo chambers online, but I, I do check my message requests. Um, I do check to see if people are trying to contact me. And even then, it's still people are giving me like a, a, a lot of props, a lot of, um, you know, just telling me how much my content has helped them. Um, I would say, I mean, just based on the numbers, I would say this majority black, but I would say that I, I do have a, a large percentage of white folks who follow me. When you look at the analytics, you can't tell that. But looking at the feedback I get in the people who reach out, um, it's it's probably more balanced than people think. And that does shock me. But because um, I, I, I I speak to us, you know, and I, I keep it real about what we talk about. But it's, it's cool to know that other people feel like they can apply it to their own lives, because in all honesty, like I, I'm for us first, mm -hmm. of course. But I want all of us as humans to do better because <laughs> we don't live on islands, you know. So who do you think needs black history information more? Is it based on your own experiences? Were you falling in love with uh, black history by taking a class on it and, and really that becoming uh, something that changed your life as you wrote in your book? Uh, or is it people outside of our community that need to know our rich history and the things that we've accomplished and not just that we were enslaved people and all those kinds of things? That's a tough question. <laughs> because I, I really want to, I would say, I'll say where I am right now, I'm still going to say it's most important for us to learn it because I think it lights a fire under you when you figure out how much you've been lied to. And I just understand what I've been able to do with my platform. I've, again, for some reason, a lot of other people have, from different backgrounds, have begun to learn like I was on CBS yesterday and there was a white guy who was interviewing me and he was just like, I, man, I can't believe how much of this stuff I didn't know. And I'm so ashamed. Wow. And I was having a conversation about it. And, you know, I'm, I'm saying that to say, like, we we are entry points for other people who are watching online or whatever anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I think it's more empowering what we do because we'll begin to take even more responsibility. I think more, most times we live in these situations, and I'm speaking from my experience, too, and we see things aren't right, but we don't know for sure because we can't pinpoint it. Because if you are like raised in, in, in hell and then you go into a school that's in the midst of it, too, and they're not even teaching you that you actually inhale, then you don't think there's nothing wrong. But then when you leave that fire pit and you go somewhere else, you say, this ain't how my life's supposed to be. That's when you begin to awaken. And, and I think just thinking in terms of like voter turnout, 
which I don't think is the only way to change our, our society, of course, but I think that's a reflection of how much we uh, care or do not care or are engaged in our circumstances. So to answer your question, um, which was a great question, I would say we have to learn it first and then everything else will begin to fall in place after that. Well, on that note, there's not much more that I can say, but thank you so much for being with us on Reality Check today and for celebrating Black history with us as we do it 365, but it is Black History Month, so it's wonderful to amplify it and through your platform, uh, amazingly so. Tell us how to find you. Yeah, everybody can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Mr. Krim 3 that's M-R-C-R-I-M number three. Also at ErnestCram.com. Uh, please reach out. Let's continue the conversation. Deliver. Wonderful. And definitely support uh, Ernest Krim and his books, Black History Saved My Life. That sounds like a great Black History Month gift for somebody. And the ABCs of Affirming Black Children. Because you know what? We can read. We got reading to do. We got information to get. And those are two great books that I think uh, some folks would really, truly appreciate. Ernest Krim, Thank you so much for being with us today on Reality Check. Looking forward to talking to you again. Hopefully you'll come back and join us again soon. Definitely. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Word Radio On Demand. Listen live at 96.1 FM, 900 AM, and online at wordradio.com. 